I'm Jessica Wilson, and you're listening to Making It Awkward. Today's episode is sponsored by registered dietitian Whitney Trotter of Bluff City Health in Memphis, Tennessee. She provides consultations to teams, clinics, and professionals to better serve their BIPOC clients with eating disorders and disordered eating. Whitney is now a doctor of nursing practice shout out and congratulations to Whitney, who brings her depth of knowledge to help you become better equipped to handle BIPOC trauma in your practice. She will help you become a strong advocate for your clients. And again, I cannot recommend her enough. Today, we get into the business of romance novels and the awkwardness that comes along with them. Romance novel reviewers Shana and Maya make the case for romance reading and how it can benefit us all. To prep for this episode, I dove into a subgenre of romance, dino romance as in a human and a dinosaur falling in love. I recount the book to Maya and Shayna for their thoughts. You won't want to miss it. Needless to say, this episode has very adult content. Uh, Listen with headphones where needed. The conversation was long and in-depth and shortened here for production, but it truly does make me think about putting up a Patreon so you can hear the full unedited version of these interviews. And maybe some more Q&A with my dad. I'll I'll think about that. The romance industry is the highest grossing fiction genre. In 2023, 39 million romance novels were sold compared to 17 million in 2020. Over a third of the books sold in paperback are romance novels. If so many people are reading romance, why does it remain so awkward to talk about it and also so stigmatized in literary conversations? One thing that I think makes romance novels awkward and hilarious are the euphemisms used for body parts and sex scenes. I got introduced to romance as a kid by taking a Harlequin book off my mom's bookshelf. It was out in the open, but I knew it was off limits. It was such a snooze of a read when I started compared to Nancy Drew or The Babysitter's Club. So I skipped ahead in the book and soon found why there were hundreds on the bookshelf. I would hide them under my mattress and my mom would find them when she made the bed. She'd tell me not to read them and the same scenario repeated for months until I found better hiding places. When I became a teen, I somewhat forgot about the genre or may have just been embarrassed about reading books with Fabio on the cover. So I set them aside until meeting Shayna and learning that she wrote reviews of romance novels and got paid to do so. She introduced me to the writing of Talia Hibbert, specifically the series that starts with Get a Life, Chloe Brown, and I became a fan of the genre once again. Here's my conversation with Shayna and Maya, both writers for Smart Bitches Trashy Books. Maya and Shayna, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Hi. Maya, tell us a bit about yourself. Well, I am uh, an attorney um, until the end of the year, and then I quit. Um, And uh, right now I live in Los Angeles. I um, do post-conviction work uh, representing lifers um, and trying to get elderly Black people out of prison. That is my non-paid work. Um, My paid work is I sue the government for public records because they're super shady and they keep getting caught. Um, And I don't know what I'm going to do next, um, and I'm so excited to figure it out. Um, and I am an occasional contributor to the website, smart bitches, trashy books. Um, and so we have tons of fun, uh, talking about romance novels and engaging sometimes in higher level critiques of what's going on inside those romance uh, novels and what is going on, um, inside the romance industry in general, because sometimes they're a mess and we need to like talk about it. Um, yeah, that's me. Awesome. 
Shana, tell us about yourself. Hey, right now I'm a social work grad student getting my master's of social work and focusing on narrative therapy, which is perfect because I have a background in narrative analysis for social justice organizations. And I'm also a contributor to Smart Bridges Trashy Books with Maya, and I love it for all the reasons that she just described. I love getting to talk about all of the details of romance novels with people who are just as passionate about it as I am. Excellent. And uh, can you tell me how you all got started in romance reading and then reviewing? I probably read my first romance way too young. I think I was probably like eight, nine, somewhere around there. And it was my grandmother. She had an enormous bag. It was a huge black trash bag filled with Harlequin romances in the laundry room. I don't even know where they came from. I think like a job she'd had or thrift stores. And I would just pilfer them one by one, take them back to my little room when I was visiting her over the summers, burn through it, <laughs> and then put it back and pick another one. I didn't even make it through the trash bag that summer. Like that's how many were in there. But that was definitely my romance route, reading these novels that were mostly contemporary romance that were about like white people in England <laughs> a lot of the time. Um, and then I just really kept reading romance. I mean, Sweet Valley High and, you know, romances that were teen romances. How'd you get started writing? I got started with Smart Bitches Trash Books because I was a longtime reader of the site. And that's how I found a lot of the books that I was reading. And when they said they were looking for reviewers, I thought there was no way they would hire me because they were so amazing. <laughs> Mm. But I submitted my application in some of my extremely lengthy and detailed Goodreads reviews, <laughs> breaking <laughs> down my strong opinions about them. I think my rev the review I submitted was for a Talia Hibbert book um, mm. and Untouchable, the one about her, it's her nanny romance. And I hate nanny romances. And she wrote one that like really dealt with the power dynamics so well. And yeah, that's how I started reviewing for them. And I've been doing it ever since. Awesome. Maya, what about you? How'd you get into it? Same. My grandmother also had stacks and stacks of Harlequin novels <laughs> in a spare room, and I would sneak in there because I didn't like to be around my family, and so I'd go read books. And then I wasn't allowed to bring them home. There was, like, no way. Um, but I, we were there a lot, so I would just go and, like, read her books. And then um, I, like, dropped off. You know, I was big into fantasy that was um, – like teen fantasy with like Alana, you know, and so the romance was like very much a closed door romance and not, um, not a, not a, <laughs> not sort of explicit on the page. Um, mm. And then as an adult, like in 2016, I think there was a podcast, a pop culture happy hour had a podcast about romance novels. And these ladies were like, so excited to talk about romance. And they were so happy and they were giggling. And at that point I was doing, I was uh, working on uh, death penalty cases um, mm -hmm. as a mitigation specialist. And so I was just inside trauma day in, day out. And I was like, I'm so depressed and these ladies are so happy. Like, I'm going to go read those books and maybe I'll be less sad about like everything I'm seeing every day because there's like no hope when you're doing death penalty work. It's like me, if I can get my client off and he doesn't get the death penalty, he might still serve a life sentence, right? And it's like, I did it, I won, we like got there. My client is going to be in prison for the rest of their lives. And so that's where I really got into it was like, 
oh my God, I'm so sad. And I really need this thing that's really happy. Um, and then same thing as Shana. Smart Bitches, Trashy Books, I love them. And I've been reading them obsessively. And then one day they put a call out for writers. And I also was like, I've never written a review of anything. But like, let me just, I just like, I love them so much. It'd be super fun. I super want to be officially a smart bitch. Like, that's all I want in this world. Please, I'm a smart bitch. I want to put on my resume. And I reviewed a book that was, turned out to be super racist. um, And really like, just misogynist and so I just made a lot of mean jokes about the main characters um and like you know because they were in a jungle in Mexico all this stuff was really bad and I was like I really hope the snake do does bite this dude on the dick like please thank you like let's make this happen and so um I think based on my like critique and my rage um uh Sarah who runs the site was like super into it but I had never done anything like that before that's great um, Maya, can you speak a bit more of the people being so happy about romance and how that contrasts with like everyday life? And then perhaps both of you can talk about like the value of reading romance and kind of make the pitch sell to folks on why it's so great. Uh, the main reason a lot of people are super into romance is that the promise of a happily ever after. Um, which you don't like that is the like central trope the central promise of romance is like everything's gonna be great in the end um even if you have characters who've experienced trauma who who are coming out of a war who um you know of any century war or who are like people who are in space and they're spirited out in space but then they find love and we did it and so just sort of within any context the end is that like people are going to fall in love. I would like also say that um, a critique that I have is with the, that happily ever after is a lot of times it's like a very heteronormative one where it's like two people fall in love, they get married, they have two children, a boy and a girl, and we did it. And so um, the the also amazing thing about romance is, is the fact that there are some authors that are really great about engaging in critiques of these tropes and of pushing back against these things of saying, maybe happily ever after is poly, like is a poly and we're good and we're happy, especially with like erotica. Sometimes the happily ever after isn't children. It's like we fucking, and we still fucking what romance does is say that like hope is possible. And like, let me externally, right. Instead of you having to generate hope within yourself, let me externally give you this opportunity to like see hope and then see that like it could be possible. Like hope does still exist. There's all these different places where like hope is also a part of that narrative. Awesome. Shana, what about you? Yeah, I would second all of that. Definitely. I I feel like life is hard. I mean, really kind of for all of us. <laughs> There's a reason that um, during the pandemic, romance reading really increased. Like people needed that, that sense of happily ever after. You get that great serotonin hit of like, of seeing the love, like people go through something. Um, it could be something small or something big, and then they find each other at the end and have that joy. And so even though it might seem during the book or in a really good romance, you really can't see how it's possible, maybe even, that that people will end up together, that they will solve whatever the challenge or obstacle is. Uh, and yet it does happen. So I think it, it gives you that safety because of the the happily ever after convention makes you just feel like you you know you're being held in the bosom of a romance novel and it's going to be great. I like the predictability of it. 
like I know what's going to happen at the end, even if I don't know how, like when I put this book down, I will not be sad. But I remember reading it young enough and knowing that they were having sex, but the words they were using said nothing like anatomically correct. It was like he put his, I don't know, into the wherever, but I knew it was like this supposed to be the sexual thing. I just didn't understand the words that they were using. What do you all think about the euphemisms for body parts in romance novels? One that I'll see is like his manhood his sex is like the one of the weirdest for me. Like, I know what you're saying, but that's an odd way to phrase it. I think um, they're sometimes hilarious. Um, it's, and also sometimes, yeah, they're just like, oh, like, could I never see that word again? Like, there's sometimes when there's some books where you're like, I would actually love it if I would never, ever just like ever see that word again. Unfortunately, I'm in the third book in a 20 book series and I can't stop reading these because they're perfectly, they're like perfectly terrible. I'm just going to keep seeing this word. And so sometimes you just have to like accept in your heart that stuff is like, it, that the, the weirdness of it, the uncomfortableness of it is like part of the joy, right? Because um, people take sex too seriously a lot of times and like the best sex can be the ones where you're like giggling with your partner and you're having fun and it's like a joyful thing that like yeah it's kind of weird and like stuff is happening but like the words describes you know they run out of synonyms and they're trying their best <laughs> and sometimes it's just like the wrong word but um, I think approaching it from a place of like, hey, we're all human. Yeah, I have to admit that I probably don't even notice anymore a lot of the time because I'm so used to it. Um, I think that it could be kind of scandalizing, like at the beginning, you know, when you're like, well, how many times is the word cock in this book? I definitely remember writing a review once where I was like, <laughs> count, like, you know, I did a word search, like, there's a lot of cock in this book, and it's like a ridiculous amount. Like, all right, thank you. Um, not necessarily a bad thing, just unnoticing. <laughs> I mm -hmm. feel like I sometimes enjoy it in historical romance when they use like particularly unusual words. And I always like to imagine the amount of like deep, medieval sex research that it went into like figuring out <laughs> what people may have said or maybe it got made up so I, I appreciate the creativity I agree with my that sometimes like it's a really tough word just for you as a reader and it might have worked for somebody else and that can be so distracting for me it's whole whole is just like not sexy to me like put no. it in my hole I did something in the hole yes please hold like no <laughs> Hard. And I just read a series that like I loved and whole was the word of choice. <laughs> it was really tough. It was really tough for me. But even then, it's like you just kind of get desensitized over time. So it's just a, li a little creepy. Just, just a little. <laughs> not, not as intensely distracting as, as in the first book. <laughs> yeah, you're saying that makes me think of I think opening was one of the last ones that I read. I think it was actually his opening that was, was like, all right. People I like really the, get scared about the word anus. So like I feel like yeah. in particular <laughs> the euphemisms there could be <laughs> could be very strange. So have you two ever been caught in awkward situations or scenarios either reading romance novels or perhaps talking about them in mixed company? I mean, the first thing that 
comes to mind. I don't know if exactly that I've been caught because I will read erotic romance like out on the bus. I don't care. So that's fine. But there was this one time I was at the doctor's office. I was there to get my eyes checked. And it was in the middle of the day. And so everybody who was waiting was like over the age of 75 or a small child with their parent. And I was listening to a Talia Hibbert book on audiobook. And it got to the sex scene. And her sex scenes are quite amazing. They are works of art. Mm -hmm. And some of them are quite long. And this is a longer one. (laughs) And, you know... I, it's a good thing I'm dark skinned because I'm sure I was blushing. <laughs> but like I became convinced that you could hear the sound coming through <laughs> my headphones. <laughs> like that people could could hear what I was listening to because it was a like, very tiny, tiny little waiting room. So it was like a little old office building where like nobody is further than like a foot from you. And I kept pausing it. <laughs> Like it would get to a really exciting part. Like this was a, a multi-orgasmic sex scene. So mm-hmm. I'd be like, all right, that was one orgasm. Maybe we'll just pause. Like I'm looking around, like I can't tell. <laughs> Are people looking at me? I'm very self-conscious. That's the only time I really remember feeling actually awkward about it. And it was more that like, there's children present. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if they can hear it or not. Um, you know, I didn't have, I wasn't wearing any of the fancy kind of earbuds. <laughs> wearing the cheap ones that's when you really need to invest in some high quality <laughs> earbuds when you're you're listening to Italia Hepper book how about you Maya honestly with you know kindles and tablets and and headphones it's pretty easy to to not have that be a thing that anyone catches you reading um but I would say like when I'm sometimes trying to say oh this is a great book like we should talk about this book in the workplace <laughs> sometimes people are like or even saying that I was like oh I just wrote this review for smart bitches you should check it out and they like see the site and then they're like oh and it's like you know I love romance and I'm not gonna like apologize for it and I think men are especially like embarrassed about the concept of romance and or feel like they should denigrate it or be like oh like Fabio whatever and it's like look that was the that was the 90s that was the 90s and like we are past that as a concept for for romance novels. So if that is your frame of reference, you don't actually know what you're talking about, and you're just trying to like engage in some kind of like hierarchy thing where the things that women like and the things that are written by women should be made fun of anytime it's mentioned. And like I'm not going to stand for it. And so um, I think it's more like those moments where people are embarrassed by it, by the concept of it. And I'm like, look, I can and will get into a fight with you about this <laughs> because you can't tell me they're bad if you've only looked at covers. Like that's it. And if you're embarrassed by the cover, that's like about you and and the things that you think you should be trying to please other people about what they enjoy. That's part of why I love to talk about romances so openly and the things that I love about them. When I first started reviewing romances, one of my fellow reviewers, you know, talked about how um, it's really important to separate out your professional work from romance reviewing. And I did that at first for many years. And it was really wonderful for me to actually just start merging those worlds a little bit more and just acknowledge it's a big part of what I love and that I really wouldn't want to work somewhere professionally that didn't accept that um, and didn't accept that I love talking about and reviewing romance novels and then expecting me to pretend as though I only read, you know, important, mm-hmm. serious nonfiction <laughs> Mm-hmm. Which I do, but <laughs> but I also love reading romance novels. 
Well, I wanted to add something else. Um, oh, yeah, go ahead. I think, yeah, I think with especially teen readers, there is this sense with romance that if a teenager reads it, they're going to be uncontrollably horny and engage in all this behavior only because they read a book with a lot of kissing. And so I think that's both tied to sort of the current movement to ban books, um, but also sort of like a general like parental fear, right, is that their, their daughter in particular is going to be uncontrollable and, and should be controlled and needs to be controlled in the way in which we protect our child, protect our daughter from doing something, doing something that can get them pregnant, right, um, is from making sure they don't know what what sex looks like don't read descriptions of sex don't like read the, that women can possibly desire something because if if girls are uncontrolled if girls have desire then we lose control of them and so that was something that um that there was there was this article i read that was that that was this bookseller talking about whether or not she should stop parents from buying some books for their children particularly like book talk books that are recommended on book talk and she was really just engaging in a lot of like problematic critiques of romance and also sort of not even cognizant of her own like shame right and her own embarrassment around romance and eventually she gets to the part where like no it's not my job to like to be in control of who has access to books but she also didn't actually resolve the part where like she does think in some way that like if this kid reads this book then they're going to engage in behavior that they had no idea about but yeah there's there's this real there's this real fear that i think people think if you read a book you're going to want to do the things inside your book or it's going to change you in some fundamental way totally uh as you were saying that it does make me think probably before uh, I was caught with romance novels. My parent or my mom had given me like the very sterile, like this is what sex is, like vagina and penis, which automatically was like, well, that's not interesting. Like that sounds like it would be boring or painful or whatever. Um, but yes, you're totally right. Then reading about like desire and pleasure and all of these things, oh, it was like, wait, what? Like this was not at all a part of the conversation. Totally. That's a good point. One of the ways that I got to this conversation was after a mutual friend, Amy, had broken her algorithm on Instagram, was then getting like ads for dinosaur romance novels and was, you know, Shayna as the expert, is this real? <laughs> to what is this? And I similarly was surprised and Shayna assured us like, no, no, it's real. <laughs> I was like, oh, Okay. Okay. So in order to be prepared for this conversation, I went and uh, listened to Wet Hot Allosaurus Summer. Of course, I'll link to it in the show notes. I haven't finished it. So, you know, I'm like 17 minutes. So I'm saving the ending. <laughs> I'm suspended to see how they end up uh, finishing this. But some of my favorite moments from this, um, the euphemism was cylinder of love in in this for the male dinosaur. Um, <laughs> yes, cylinder of love. Uh, it gave new context for period sex for the dinosaur who's a carnivore, right? Mm -hmm. Very. <laughs> okay. Very. Okay. <laughs> in the first 17 minutes, she went from just drawing dinosaurs and being interested in them to uh, falling in love with one in two seconds to 
uh, that dinosaur almost being shot by her father to her being shot instead. So she, her arm is shot. The dinosaur picks her up. They run away together. They have sex. Her arm is still bleeding. Like her arm is still shot. By the time they're done having sex, her arm is apparently gray. Oh, why is it gray? Because he has sucked some of the blood out of it while they are having sex. By the time they're done, her arm is gray. So it is a dead arm. So you can imagine it makes sense that this dinosaur then eats this arm off of her using his magical feathers to heal up the wound. First 17 minutes. No spoilers. I have a question. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> when we're talking about like human to dinosaur scale, like is it uh, a really big puppy dog that looks like a dinosaur, or are we talking about like twenty feet to like a five foot eight human woman kind of situation? We'll say she's five foot eight. He's eight feet tall. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> <He's so tall. laughs> uh, yes, I spent alien romance. It's about the same with alien romance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh yes i was then spending way too many minutes looking up dinosaur like anatomy and wondering like can they like what is no i'm not even uh, i decided that was futile because i don't do that with aliens right why am i holding dinosaurs to a higher standard like this is just all make-believe in the first place don't want to discriminate against these dino romances well, um, it's where we're really failed as a people by the fossil record, right? Because it doesn't usually it, capture soft tissue. So, like, how can we know? And it's that is like, true. All we, our, all we have is our fantasies. All we have is like our <laughs> imagination to figure that out. I found that exactly. It sounds like you were an expert. It seems. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, it was it a cloaca or did he have a cylinder of love? We don't know. We don't know. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite other bits to this narration was the first chapter was, so the name is spelled T-A-N-I-S. And throughout the full first chapter, the narrator was saying Tanis, you know, and then we get to chapter two, like that 18 minutes in. And then she starts calling her Tanise. And I was like, wait, is she black now? I'm in chapter two. Black now? Um, and then in chapter three, she was Tanis again. So, you know, we were just we were just going back and forth. That that was a lot of fun. It kind of just fit the vibe, which takes me into the recommendation portion. So if there was like a starter, few titles, what would you recommend? Um, do you have other genres or things that would make great last minute Christmas gifts for people? I mean, there's so many genres yeah. <laughs> of romance. When you talked about stables and I asked out a barn, I was thinking about Western romances. And Rebecca Weatherspoon has a series, Cowboys in California, um, which just plays with Western tropes really well. It's about black cowboys and a family that owns a ranch in Southern California. And each of the books is kind of a retelling of a different fairy tale, like you know, Cinderella. They're really delightful. So one of my favorites is about an assistant to a Hollywood star who kind of ends up on the ranch and it's very cute. 
So I do like those for Westerns. I think for rom-coms in general, I feel like Jackie Lau has a lot of really good holiday romances that would be good gifts. She is a Canadian writer and all of her rom-coms, they just, they feel kind of like Hallmark romances that are like better than actually the mm-hmm. experience of watching one. Like mm-hmm. they're just a little funnier. The dialogue is more sparkling. You know, they're a little less predictable, but still predictable she has a book one bed for christmas which uh just cheers me up every time i read it and it does exactly what it says on the tin there was one bed oops oh no (laughs) (laughs) and it's christmas (laughs) um and then she also has second chance road trip for christmas which again is like here we are in our second chance for love and we're on a road trip to one of our families for christmas so i just yeah i I love her and i think hers are really great how about you maya really love fantasy. There's this um, author that uses two pen names, G.A. Aiken and Shelley Lawrenson. And I adore her because her writing is always about strong women who are also sometimes very angry and who have, for different reasons, the power to basically like destroy the world with their rage. There's this one, it sounds really graphic, um, but she this character is really, really strong and she's like in a fight and she actually reaches down somebody's throat and pulls out their lungs. Um, and like, just, and it was the funniest thing I had ever read. It was just like this moment where I was like, okay, we're going to be really wild about this. I would say for like chill vibes, his chill, like historical vibes that are very caring and compassionate, like Mary Balog, um, she does these really slow historical romances that, that are just very kind and sweet and not particularly dramatic. I would say generally the problem with historical romances that are set in Britain or whatever is that they do not engage with the realities of slavery, the ongoing oppression of Black people. And so that is a a part that makes it really difficult for me to read historical fiction. Um, There are a couple authors, Courtney Milan and Tessa Dare, who engage in historical fiction, but also make it very silly and joyful. And sometimes they do acknowledge the fact that how, you know, how folks got their money. And Courtney Milan does sometimes have like non-white characters. We did it. For contemporary, Michelle Hazen, her book does a really good job of having two adults that are sort of um, trying to find love again. The main character, she actually um, is coming from a place of like being in a relationship that was abusive. And so she's first trying to find safety, right? And then trying to figure out ways in which she can engage the world where like the her the domestic violence she experiences is not determining how she how she generally exists. It's not that she just sleeps with this guy and she's everything's great and she's perfect. It's really like an actual engagement of what healing from trauma looks like and that it is sometimes a very long journey. Another one I like is Larissa Brown, Beautiful Wreck. Because it's actually a historical uh, novel that's set in 10th century Iceland. And so we don't usually go all the way back to there. That was one of the few romance novels that really like sucked me all the way in. (laughs) And then I came back and I was like, oh God, I'm here. It is the 21st century and it's terrible. Katie Roberts has a Wicked Villains series that has like completely destroyed my ability to like watch a Disney movie. Because it's all the villains from the, like, Disney books. The first one is Jafar and Jasmine. Oh, it's amazing. And so it's like, she's got a daddy kink, and there's consensual non-consent, and their safe word is Raja. And, like, (laughs) it's like, I couldn't stop listening to all of them. 
but it was really, really funny. Be having your whole childhood like destroyed. Like it was extremely <laughs> There's a lot of ways that people get creative. And there's a lot of ways that like, if you're walking into it with a like, I just want to have fun. You are going to find ways to have fun. And so that's, that's like, I think the greatest gift that like romance can give you is like, if you just want to giggle, there's a book that will like let you giggle. I keep waiting for Disney to sue her about those books. <laughs> and I, I've just come to the conclusion they've decided that doing that would just bring them more publicity, which is true. Yeah. <laughs> but it always amazes me that that has not happened <laughs> yet. I have more recommendations too. So because I love reading science fiction, I feel like there's some really good sci-fi romance. And my definitely my top favorite is This Is How You Lose the Time War. It's a futuristic romance, and it's about two women who are like engaged in kind of time agents, and they're on opposite sides, but kind of fall in love through writing notes to one another and kind of leaving them and having these you know interactions w- during the war. Um, and it's it's one of those romances where it seems impossible that two people on opposite sides of a war are going to end up together, but of course it does work out. And I have recommended that to several people who claimed they did not like romances, who loved that book. <laughs> so I feel like it's a great kind of gateway for you know folks just getting into romance, and especially if it was somebody who liked science fiction. And then I I don't actually read a lot of historical fiction set in England. For all the reasons that Maya just brilliantly outlined, it's kind of hard for me these days. But I do really like reading historical fiction set in the U.S. So I think that Alyssa Cole's An Extraordinary Union is like a really lovely book. It's a spy thriller where she goes undercover during the Civil War in the house of a Confederate general and falls in love with another undercover agent. It's an interracial romance, so the heroine is Black and he's white. And I think that the way that they kind of handle and talk about their experiences is just really interesting and creative. And then, you know, Beverly Jenkins is a really classic Black uh, historical romance writer. I like a lot of her books. And I think that her Old West series, which is kind of one of her more recent series, I do tend to kind of like things that are set in the West. And it's hard to find kind of Western adjacent romances that center kind of people of color that kind of talk about some of the challenges around indigenous people. And so I do really like that series, too. So I definitely think that's like a pretty, a pretty safe bet. I will make a last plug for a a great gateway. You made a fool of death with your beauty. I think, Shana, you had called it a sneaky romance. Um, So if people are interested in a book that will trick them into enjoying romance, highly recommend You Made a Fool Out of Death with Your Beauty. And if the author ever listens to me or this... I would just like to say that an accompanying cookbook for all the recipes made in that book uh, would be like such a gift for a companion guide for that one. And I'm sure it would sell a bunch of money. Oh my gosh, I loved that book. And, you know, and that book is probably my version of the villain series because the main character is like a hot queer Marcus Samuelson, the chef. And so now whenever I see him, <laughs> all I think about is that book. And it is very distracting. <laughs> I sorry, Marcus. <laughs> my my mother loves his cookbook. And yeah, 
it's it's real hard but um well real hard that was that was definitely an unintended pun (laughs) with that i will wrap up by saying thank you so much this was super duper fun um i think we definitely fulfilled the awkwardness requirement for my episode so i appreciate that I would love to have you all back, especially when the next Steamy Lit Con uh, comes around. You can give us the details about what's up and what's new and what's next. Okay. I don't know. I might be very critical. We'll see. (laughs) Great. I will link to most, if not all, of these books in the show notes, as well as Shayna and Maya's Smart Bitches Trashy Books bios. Again, thank you so much to you both. Thanks for having us. This has been great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks again to Shana and Maya. I finally did get to the end of the Dino Romance book, and through all the trials and tribulations of an interspecies relationship, the author gave it a happy ending. If you need something that dumps you right into the depths of romance, that book will give you a laugh, but I will again recommend You Made a Fool of Death with Your Beauty. Next week, you'll hear my interview with Jen McClellan, recorded less than a week after she lost her access to both her meta accounts after posting a photo of her in a bathing suit. We discuss the importance of social media communities, how AI is being used, and the impacts of meta shutting down people's accounts. The best way to support this show is to rate, review, and follow. Until next time, read a romance novel and make it awkward. This episode was sponsored by Whitney Trotter and the Legacy of Sacramento Outboard Services. It was edited and mixed by Jen Jacobs. It's a production of The Body Politics.